Before we begin, I would like to note that most of this was recorded two weeks ago. So, you'll hear some things that probably would have been more relevant two weeks prior, such as reviews of movies that came out late in 2020. But due to real-world events and a last-minute change to my season premiere, I had to postpone this particular podcast to this weekend. And with that said, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm Joel Garcia. Welcome to the Pop Culture Shuffle. On today's show, we have a few things to talk about. First up, why are people still playing Super Smash Bros. Melee? Then, I talk about a couple of films, Disney Pixar Soul and Wonder Woman 1984. And finally, a snippet from my radio show, where I talked about a certain anime currently airing on TV. Spoiler alert, it's not Goku. But first, who wants to play Smash? For those of you who play video games, this might sound a bit familiar. For those of you who don't play video games, that is just an example of someone playing Super Smash Bros. on a Nintendo GameCube controller. Or at least, somewhat of a GameCube controller. The reason I bring this up happens to do with a certain hashtag that has been very popular within the past few weeks. Hashtag Free Melee. Now for those of you who have never heard of it and are just wondering what is Free Melee, it's a long story, but let's get to the point. Free Melee refers in particular to Super Smash Bros. Melee, a 2001 video game for the Nintendo GameCube. The game is part of the Super Smash Bros. series of games, in which it's a crossover fighting game between several of Nintendo's franchises. Melee in particular was the second game in the series, where you could play as a wide range of Nintendo icons such as Mario, Link, Samus, but also Mewtwo and Ganondorf and Captain Falcon. The game has continued to stay popular all these years, despite the fact there have been subsequent releases on the Wii, the Wii U, 3DS, and Switch consoles. It's surprising how this game continues to stay so popular, despite the fact that the console itself went out of production more than a decade ago, and at the same time, the game went out of print. To this day, the game is still played at certain tournaments, but in more recent years, fans have tried to modify the game to an extent where Nintendo apparently is against. Recently, a tournament known as The Big House was planning to show Melee in a tournament that would require online play, because of course with the pandemic, it is impossible to play Melee the way it was intended. And the online modification was supposed to allow for online play, but also allow for a lack of lag, as in, if you say, press a button on the GameCube controller, it will be slightly quicker. Now the reason they did this was because Melee as it was originally produced by Nintendo in 2001, did not have online play. There is no online capability in this 2001 video game. And of course, during a pandemic, it's impossible to play the game. And supposedly this mod would have allowed players to do that, but Nintendo then sent a cease and desist, leading to fans to put out the hashtag FreeMelee, and the ongoing fight that has led to a lot of back and forth, with Nintendo essentially blocking anyone who even sends them free melee in some form or another. 
Now the whole situation has been derided by many fans, those of Melee and the more recent Ultimate fans, Ultimate being the latest incarnation for the Nintendo Switch. Because of course, you have a 20 year old game which is only playable on a single console that is really hard to find versus a newer game that not only can you easily find online because the game is still in print as well as the console, but also has online capability. In addition, the game allows you to play with GameCube controllers, something that is surprisingly unusual for Nintendo. In fact, the Smash games on both the Wii and Wii U allow you to play with GameCube controllers, despite the fact that for later Wii console releases and the Wii U itself do not have ports for a controller, requiring you to use a special adapter in the latter's case. And it's nice to see Nintendo do that, because for a lot of people, they might not want to use the original controllers. It's really great that Nintendo allows players the ability to use the GameCube controller for Smash Brothers. It's the only game where they do that, but it's nice that they actually allow you the option to use the GameCube controller if you don't want to use either, say, a Wiimote, the classic controllers, or maybe just whatever controls on the Switch. But people still prefer to play Melee for some reason. Now I know that for a lot of people, they have played for years on Melee and have become super experienced. There are videos online of people telling you, oh, this is how you play Melee, this is how you play Melee, you just do this, 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 and that. With most people, it's right down to a T of how they want to play this game. The most standard option to play is, of course, Final Destination, no items, which to me is just fucking boring. And I know why people like Final Destination on Melee, because of all the stages in the game, it's the smallest, and there's no obstacles, the stage doesn't move around, there aren't any other interactive distractions, and I understand why people disable the items, because they just want to play a fighting game, they don't want someone to get a baseball bat and then knock him out immediately. Which, admittedly, I do most of the time, because, again, I'm playing Smash Brothers. I want to use the items. If I wanted to play a fighting game without items, I'd go play Street Fighter. There are, of course, other reasons why people still play Melee over Ultimate. One of them has to do with gameplay. Now, when it comes to subsequent generations of games, especially of a long-running series like Smash Brothers, each game will, of course, be different from the other. It's hard to compare the original N64 game with, say, the 3DS version, or Ultimate with Brawl. And there are a lot of differences between Melee and Ultimate. For starters, Melee has braked targets. Ultimate does not have that. Melee has Adventure Mode. Ultimate technically doesn't have an Adventure Mode, instead having Spirits. Which has a cutscene, but that's about it. And there are other changes that people may not like in Ultimate. Classic mode in Ultimate is customized for each fighter, as in everyone has a specific set of characters they fight, whereas in Melee they were preset. Now I will say this about Melee. Yes, Melee is a good game, but it is increasingly harder and harder to find the game because, unlike most Nintendo games which have been re-released in some form or another, Melee has never been re-released outside of the GameCube. It's one of those games where it's only available to play on that one specific console. If you do not own a Nintendo GameCube, Melee, or Bose, there is no way you can play the game. And both are increasingly getting harder and harder to find. Not just because hardware is falling apart, but also because there is no digital version. It's one of those games that Nintendo has never re-released. 
aside from the player's choice and bestseller in the early 2000s. And Nintendo hasn't exactly considered porting this game. Why would they? They have Ultimate, which has all the characters from Melee, so what's the point? With that said, I understand why people still play Melee. It may have been their first game. It may be their favorite Smash Brothers game. And maybe they are very competitive in Smash Brothers tournaments that still play Melee. But the problem is the fan base is shrinking because again, it's only on the GameCube and it seems unlikely Nintendo will ever port it to the Switch or anywhere else. And the season assist kind of makes sense because Nintendo does not condone mods. And I've seen people complain about how Nintendo doesn't give out money for tournaments which just seems ridiculous considering that Smash Brothers is not intended to be a serious fighting game. As game creator Masahiro Sakurai has said, this is supposed to be a party game, not a fighting game. It's not on the same level as a Street Fighter or Tekken or Soul Calibur. That is of course my personal opinion. And I will say this, if I have the opportunity, I'll gladly play Melee. But the thing is that Ultimate is easier to access at the moment. Especially if you say already have a Switch. For a lot of people, especially those starting to get into Smash Brothers, they might not have access to a GameCube. They might not have access to the Melee game disc. And frankly, if someone were say to buy their first video game console, they probably wouldn't go looking for a possibly used GameCube console and a harder to find Melee game disc over say buying a Nintendo Switch and either a physical or digital version of Ultimate. Nintendo was right to send a cease and desist because it's their intellectual property and they don't condone mods. At no point has Nintendo ever condoned a mod. If you want a good example, just look at Project M. That was one of the longer running mods for Brawl for people who wanted to make it play like Melee. Which begs the question, why not just play Melee? To conclude this segment, the free Melee hashtag frankly feels like an overreaction. If the big house tournament, or any tournament right now, really wants to play Smash, they'll have to settle for Ultimate, because right now it is impossible to play Melee as it was intended, with four players in the same room. And I know that people who play Melee will probably disagree with me, call me an asshole, which actually someone did on Tumblr. But all I will say is, if you can play Ultimate, it's an awesome game. It has all of the fighters, online capability, and if you wanted to, play with GameCube controllers. If you just want to play Melee, then more power to you. But I know people who play Melee that are now playing Ultimate. Because the one major advantage that Ultimate has over Melee is the Switch's portability. You can take Ultimate anywhere with you. Whereas with Melee, you can only play it at home. Until Nintendo decides to either remaster the game or just straight up port it over to the Switch, Super Smash Bros. Melee will continue to be one of those games stuck to its original console, alongside Knuckles Chaotix for the Sega 32X and GoldenEye 007 for the N64. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is available to own for the Nintendo Switch. Super Smash Bros. Melee is available only for the Nintendo GameCube. Now I want to move on to a couple of films I saw just before 2020 ended. Most of you may recall that on December 25th, two movies came out at the same time, depending on where you were. 
Here in the US, Wonder Woman 84 and Soul came out the very same day on their respective streaming services. 84 on HBO Max and theaters, and Soul on Disney+. And I decided to watch both films and gave my honest opinion about each of them on Twitter. And I'll just start with Soul right now because that was the first one I watched. I did not like it. And that admittedly got a lot of people angry with me on Twitter. And I'll just say this about the movie. There are a lot of good things about it. Yes, it's a good film visually. But to me, the premise was a little depressing. If this film had come out any other year, it would have been great. Essentially a movie about existentialism. Because you have a character who, just as he's about to go to the greatest moment of his life, he falls into a coma and is on the verge of dying. And he has to fight his way back to life, despite everything around him telling him no. And there are a lot of interesting elements, such as how before people are born, they are taught to be something specific, such as liking a certain profession or enjoying the wonders of life. And it's really interesting seeing a character, such as 22, voiced by Tina Fey, have to deal with all of this and just like say, nope, that she doesn't want to. And then you have Joe, voiced by Jamie Foxx, who's tried everything he can to get back to the real world, and how everyone around him is just like, no. Now, for a lot of people, I can understand why they might like this film. And for others, they might disagree and say, Oh, it's just another movie where the minority characters turn into an animal or something else. And I admit, when I first saw the film, that's what I was thinking it was going to be. Because the moment he got into a cat, I admittedly checked out. I thought, oh great, it's another one of those films. And I'm not saying that The Princess and the Frog or Spies in the Skies are automatically terrible films, though I will admit I haven't seen Spies in the Skies. It's just that to me, I was worried it was going down that route. And looking back at my discussions on Twitter with people watching the film at the same time, I might have overreacted a bit. And I get why people like this film, because it's joyful, it's full of life. But for me, I just found it a little bit depressing about how this man was trying to fight death. And I know that death isn't outright brought up in the film. I had a discussion with someone on Twitter, who I will not name, about how he was in a coma, not dead. And admittedly, I was wrong about that because by that point, I had just checked out. I was just like, how long is this film and when is it over? Even if it wasn't for the pandemic, I probably wouldn't have liked it anyways. In fact, it was the second one because I also didn't like Onward. With that film, I was going to see it in theaters, but canceled my ticket days before the pandemic began. And even when I saw it on Disney+, Plus, I thought it was okay. Thing is that I really don't like every single Pixar film. And I know that for a lot of people, they think everything that Pixar makes is great. In the same way how everything by Studio Ghibli is great. Or how every single Transformer movie is great. But there are a few Pixar films that I admittedly really don't like for a lot of different reasons. For starters, I didn't like Bugs Life, and then I didn't like Monsters Incorporated, Monsters University. As for the Cars films, I've never seen them. That is not to say I hate every Pixar film. There are a lot of good Pixar films. The Toy Story films, The Incredibles, Up. But most especially for me, my favorite is still WALL-E. And maybe in 2020, Pixar did have original films, but neither of them were that interesting to me. For everyone else, they probably liked them. Because Onward was basically, what if the fantasy world had modern technology? And Soul was about existentialism. I may not have liked the film, but if others liked it, great. 
Which leads me to the second film I watched that day, Wonder Woman 1984, which a lot of people have expressed negative thoughts on. I liked it, but I can see the problems. I think I saw one comparison online where they said it was like the Batman Returns for Wonder Woman. Coincidentally, my favorite Christmas movie, but that's besides the point. Batman Returns, compared to the first Batman by Tim Burton, is far darker and depressing. 84 is in a way somewhat like that, where it's not as dark as World War 1, it's just a little silly. Because you have a character who all of a sudden has the power to grant wishes after he became a genie and the way you introduce one of Wonder Woman's most popular villains was admittedly interesting by making her someone who was just like ignored and all of a sudden the more she feels like Diana she gets more powers and basically turns into a cheetah. And I admit that was probably a little goofy. I honestly really don't know what would have been better because this is a character that is really hard to translate into live action. And the whole magic premise just felt a little silly because not only from the whole genie aspect, including making a character who in the comics does not have superpowers to just suddenly have superpowers, to the way they brought back Steve Trevor. While I've never seen the 70s TV show, I am aware of how they brought back Steve Trevor in the show because the 1970s Wonder Woman series technically takes place in both the 40s and the 70s. Season 1 takes place during World War II, Wonder Woman fights Nazis. But then the rest of the show, time jumps 30 years, and yet Steve Trevor's still there. And the way they explained it, I think, on that show was saying that, oh, the Steve Trevor from the 70s is a descendant of the Steve Trevor from the 40s. Now, admittedly, that might not make any sense, considering how in the first movie, Steve Trevor in the 1910s dies, and the only way you probably could have explained him being alive in the 80s outside of the bizarre magical twist, was by revealing later on that he had a family that he never talked about, or a brother or sister that generations later happens to have a child named Steve Trevor, who just happens to look like him in a massive coincidence. But that of course would just sound ridiculous. After all, what is this, a comic book movie? <laughs> were there any other problems with Wonder Woman 84? Yes, there were, a lot. To me, another big problem with the film was Maxwell Lord. Because in the comics, Maxwell Lord is not a superpowered being. He's just a regular guy. He doesn't have any magical powers. He was dead at one point and had supernatural powers, but as a dead guy. Admittedly, I don't know much about Maxwell Lord. The only thing I know about the character is in the comics, he kills the original Blue Beetle, and then in another story related to that situation, Wonder Woman snaps his neck. And I really wanted that to happen, because there was honestly no way he could have been spared if it wasn't for the fact that he had a kid. And I think that was the only reason he stayed alive by the end of the film. If he didn't have a kid, you'd know that Wonder Woman would just go up there and snap his neck. And if you think that sounds ridiculous, there's a comic book where she does that. If you want to find out more about it, just Google Amazon's Attack. Another problem I had with the film was the way they just wrote out Etta Candy. Now I understand that Etta Candy by 1984 would have either been dead or very, very old, similar to Agent Carter in The Winter Soldier, but they could have found a way to keep her in the story. She could have had a daughter or a granddaughter or a great-granddaughter who could have hung out with Wonder Woman and Diana and know her secret identity. 
Instead, it just makes Diana a loner. Despite the fact that she's been around for 70 years, she has no friends, no connections, not even someone to say to help her hide her identity. Also, despite the fact that she's still very active in the 80s, such as when she's fighting people in the mall, she goes out of her way to make sure to disable all the cameras. That part felt like the film wanted to avoid a continuity issue, since of course in Batman v Superman, neither Bruce Wayne nor Clark Kent know who Wonder Woman is, and when Bruce is looking up information, all he finds is a photo from World War I. And the only reason that Diana went out of her way to destroy the cameras was to make sure that in Batman v Superman, if someone were to watch it after Wonder Woman 84 came out, they wouldn't then be asking the question, why didn't the world's greatest detective look up mysterious superhuman sightings in 1984? What else is there to say about Wonder Woman 84 that everyone else isn't brought up? Yes, the film is not as good as the first Wonder Woman, which itself had problems, especially with the third act and the main villain twist. And admittedly, Wonder Woman 84 has the exact same problem with the villains, where Maxwell Lord is all of a sudden getting superpowers and Cheetah was just... lame. I mean, don't get me wrong, Kristen Wiig is great, but when you put her in the CG costume, it just looks terrible. And honestly, it just felt really goofy and almost like they stole some assets from cats. I will say this, however, I would rather watch Wonder Woman 84 again than any of the Transformers films. And before anyone says, oh, but the Transformers films are better. No. No, they're not. Also, giant robots are boring. As for my final thoughts on both films, Soul is visually great, but depending on your feelings at the time of watching the movie, you might either find it great or depressing. As for Wonder Woman 84, it's an okay film. If anything, I would say it's not as bad as people are saying it is. I have seen worse superhero films. Batman and Robin is still terrible. Justice League is terrible. Wonder Woman 84 is slightly better. And frankly, when the bar is set so low for Wonder Woman 84, it's really hard to say it was terrible. Soul is available to watch exclusively on Disney Plus, while Wonder Woman 84 is currently available to stream on HBO Max for a limited time. And finally, another short segment from my radio show. Back in August 2019, I talked about a certain infamous anime series. When it comes to anime, there are a lot of controversial opinions and Probably one of the most controversial animes released in the past few years has been Sword Art Online. That is Sword Art Online. SAO for short. And I will admit I have seen a lot of the show. I have watched the first two seasons and even the two movies. Well, one is actually a clip show, the other is an actual film. And I will say this about the franchise. Yes. There are a lot of problems. It is, however, enjoyable to an extent. For those who are unaware of what I'm talking about, Sword Online centers around the Avengers of Kirito and his friends, who, in the first season and the very first story arc of the show, all play a video game called Sword Art Online. However, they find out pretty soon they can't log out, because as it turns out, the game's creator has secretly, 
plan to put them all in there and trap them in a video game, forced to live out their lives in the game, meaning they can never get out unless they beat the game. With, of course, the famous line of the franchise, if you die in the game, you die in real life. And I will say this. When the show began, it was interesting because this was refreshing and original. This was an interesting concept for a TV show or an anime where you're stuck in this game and the only way out is to beat it. Now, of course, that sounds cliche, but having this be a literal life or death situation? Okay, that sounded interesting for an anime. What could they do with it? And they went a lot of weird places, but it was, for the most part, really good. Then the show immediately fell in quality. Now... There are a lot of people who probably may or may not like this show because there are a lot of things that happen within it. For example, the main character of Kirito is often pursued by nearly every single female character he meets. And it does get really disturbing at parts. I will admit, it is disturbing at most points. And the thing is, this isn't a harem show. This isn't a show where a bunch of women are, are trying to fall in love with him. This isn't that kind of show. And I've heard the phrase isekai, which apparently is based on this genre, but I don't see it as an isekai show, because for those unaware, isekai is a type of show where a character from the real world goes into a fantasy world. It's not exactly that kind of show, because they're in a video game, and they're fighting to get out. So, I will say this about about the show. Sora Online is, to an extent enjoyable. There are moments which I will say are quite possibly some of the worst moments in anime I've ever seen, twists that come out of nowhere, and just a lot of disturbing content. It says something when Toonami aired the show, they alternate between TV 14, which is the usual adult rating for, like, say, general audiences, as long as they TVPG, and then at some point, it needs to go up to TVMA. And remember, this is Toonami. This is the block that airs on a Cartoon Network on Saturday nights. Where even if they are rated TVMA, it will still bleep out a lot of stuff. Because I've seen the show on Toonami, and they do, whenever the characters swear, bleep a lot of the words. You might be saying, what's the point of bleeping out if they're airing on a Saturday night? Because remember, this is still airing on the same... Network as Cartoon Network. So, consistency, I believe. But, I will say this about Sora Online. It is enjoyable. I will, It's the type of show where I will say, you would need to watch it once to just say if you like it or not. Like, watch the first episode and see if you want to go from there. Because, I cannot recommend this show to anybody because... It is just too disturbing to watch. If you're squeamish, you're not going to like the show. If you're the kind of guy who thinks, or person, who thinks this looks cute and stuff and fun, well, I can't say that exactly. It's not that kind of show. It's a really adult show. And sure, the animation makes it look like, oh, it's a usual Saturday morning cartoon when it's anything but that. It is, there are points where it gets good, where it looks like a great show, but then it falls apart really, really fast. And it's a show I would honestly not recommend to anybody, because 
you would need to have a really, really specific fan to be a specific fan of, say, video games to enjoy this. And if you wanted to ever see a story about, let's say, virtual reality gone wrong, this could be it. Because the main premise is virtual reality. And that's the way the show is gone. In fact, some of the more later seasons and episodes are based upon, say, real-world events, such as, say, how the popularity of first-person shooters have led to, say, an online and game based upon it. And there are things I will say are good and things are bad about it. But I will say this. I would honestly not recommend Sword Art Online to anybody because you would need to first look at the synopsis and think about it. Because the show drastically changes tone after its opening arc. Because the opening arc where they're all trapped in, in the video game, that's resolved, and then the rest of the show goes in a different direction. And there are points where it works and points where it doesn't work. Each story arc changes things up and either is really good or is outright horrendous. And I will say that. The show has a run on has aired now for three seasons and two movies. The first season has the good story arc and then the terrible second half. And then afterwards comes the movie, which is really not necessary. It's just a clip show. And then there's season two called Sword Online 2, which has three story arcs and is quite possibly the best season overall because it's not terrible. And then there's the movie Sword Online Ordinal Scale, which was okay. Not the best thing ever, but I get what they were going with. Though I really hated the fact that they keep relying on the first story arc. It, it just seems like they don't know where else to take this story. And it just like, you know what? Let's go back to that. It's like the uh, South Park Remember Berries. You know, remember this, remember this, remember this. Because that's what it feels like every time I watch this show now. It's just like, hey, remember this? So it just relies too much on callbacks. It'll be like watching, let's say, Avengers Endgame and wanting everyone to say, hey, remember that from the first movie? Like, no, we already know this happened. And... And I know there are a lot of references in the movie, but that's not the point. And then I saw the last season, Sora Online Alakization, that is the name. It's terrible, because rather than say go with the same focus of real world and video game, it's all in the video game for the entire season. Now we the occasional cutaway to the real world, but no, it's terrible. It's like watching the Archer Coma seasons. That's how bad it is. And some might say the Archer Coma seasons are great, but there are a lot of people on the internet I know that don't like the Archer Coma seasons because they just stop everything for this new alternate universe adventure of Archer. But that it depends on your opinion. To me, this is the part where I just finally gave up on this franchise because, like, I may like Sora Online, but I really don't like the fantasy aspect. If it's... If it's done well, fine. If they, like, play around with it and maybe say, like, oh, more on the video game, great. So this is just pure fantasy, and I do not want to see pure fantasy. Like I was telling somebody earlier today, the very few fantasy-based stories I like are really more satirical or have a different twist on it, like the Disney films, Sword in the Stone, and Robin Hood, or even... The parody, Robin Hood Men in Tights. There are a lot of things I like about them because they play up the fact they're in, in the medieval world. 
they don't just go straight forward because a straightforward fantasy story is really boring. I mean, I even like Quest for Camelot because it's different and it's weird. So, for those unaware, Quest for Camelot is a terrible film, but I highly recommend just because it's so bad it's good. But I will say this about Soror Online. Don't watch it. Just don't. I've seen the show and I can say you can only watch it if you're open to seeing a lot of mature content because it may start off relatively fine and innocent, but it does get darker as time goes on. Hulu even rated the last season TBMA. That's how dark it gets. Since that broadcast, I have not watched the latest season of Sorter Online. Sword Art Online, Alakasation, War of Underworld airs Saturday nights on Toonami on Adult Swim. The series can be streamed in both English and Japanese on Hulu, Crunchyroll, Netflix, and the Adult Swim app. That is all the time we have for today's show. If you would like to know when the next episode comes out, remember to follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming provider. You can also follow me on Twitter at Mr. Joel Garcia 9. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>